0: afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for joining today. Today's class, The Caretaker, which is the 31st episode in our studies of Shara Batochen, Rabbeinu Bechaya's Extraordinary Gate of Trust, is sponsored in honor of Ron Berman's father, Ziorzeit. This is sponsored by Ron and Alina Berman, dear members of our shul. Ran's father's name was Yisrael ben Meir. His neshama should have an aliyah, and certainly his soul will derive much satisfaction and pleasure from the words of Torah that we share together today. So, with no further ado, let's get right into it. Why do you always talk about money, Rabbi? Somebody sent me a message recently. You think everything's about money. So many of these classes are talking about money and finances, having or not having. <laughs> I had to chuckle. Uh, look, I'm not, I'm not into money more than anybody else's. But this must be said. The ostrich is not a national bird. Putting one's head in the sand, and ignoring the realities of life don't change the realities in any way, shape, or form. It doesn't make problems go away. Our sages were famous for not sweeping things under the carpet. And I know there are many people who will accuse rabbis or leadership in the Orthodox community of doing precisely that, and maybe merit to some of those accusations. We are human and sometimes we fail. But this I can say with certainty, sweeping things under the carpet, ignoring problems or issues was never the Torah way. The Talmud in the end of Mesechet Kedushin deals with the, the reality that we are by nature, by design, sexual animals and that we have desires, desires that can be actually embarrassing and even unhealthy. It wasn't taboo. I say just talked openly about the idea of closeting oneself with a, a member of the opposite sex and how we have to be careful with regard to the various respectful distances maintained between genders. Because, ah, Rabbi, what are they, perverts or something? What's wrong with these rabbis? It's just a platonic friendship. Said so many a people who went down so many a dark hole. There are no platonic friendships between men and women from a Torah perspective. I'm sorry to disappoint you. High-mindedness is its very beautiful. It's fantastic. And perhaps few individuals can attain a level of upper or higher consciousness, and not to be weighted down by the minutiae of flesh and blood. But guess what? Most of us, for better or for worse, are very much living in a material and meaty world. And as such, we need to deal with it. Ignoring it helps no one. People covet money. That's a fact. People obsess over finances. Money has been known to drive people insane. At a certain point, money is not about money anymore. Money becomes about power. Money becomes about influence. Money becomes the source of terrible pridefulness and arrogance. It destroys friendships, relationships, Marriages, families. Money can be a terrible thing. (laughs) There's a famous saying that's attributed to the Rebbe dashab the fifth Rebbe of Lubavitch, who said, As Drei he said, There's three things that are certain. What are the three things? He says the three things are Geld macht Meshugger, money drives people insane or makes them lose their minds. Mashke, alcohol, macht intoxicates and disorients people. And the study of Jewish mysticism, macht Edel, it refines one's character. And the Rebbe said, that if you'll see somebody who has money and isn't crazy, there's a simple answer. A <laughs> hot He doesn't have enough yet. Enough money can drive anybody crazy. Very few people maybe have enough money to go crazy, but enough can drive anybody nuts. It makes you see things in a, in a totally different fashion Makes you delusional. Makes you conceited. It Makes you view things with this uh, unhealthy geocentricity and has many other problems. You'll see somebody, he drinks whiskey and he's not drunk. answer is very simple. He just didn't have enough to drink. And the Rebbe finished and so it is. You'll see somebody who learns chesidus. He learns Jewish mystical teachings and and he doesn't become refined. He didn't learn enough of it. The truth, the truth is that the study of Shara Batochan will necessarily change the way you view the world. It will. You just have to study it seriously enough. You have to invest enough energy and care to take the ideas from objective truths to download and digest them into your own kishka, so to speak, into your operating system so that it becomes assimilated into your very plasma and it becomes the thing that essentially fuels life for you. I'm digressing, eh? (laughs) okay the bottom line is we're going to talk about money today we're going to talk about having money we're going to talk about losing money and we're going to be very open-eyed and candid about this the average person can easily become corrupt in pursuit of money people do things that are dishonest People do things that are mean-spirited. People do things that are cruel in their selfish quest for affluence and for wealth. They will, proverbially speaking, step over the dead bodies as they seek to climb to the top. And having money can wreak havoc on a person's spiritual stature. It can literally destroy a person. It has historically taking people who were refined, sensitive, sweet, spiritually minded, and turned them into greedy, selfish, capricious animals. Such is the nature of money. And money doesn't always stay with you. There is a there is a proverbial turning wheel of fortune. Money can come very easily go. And sometimes the debilitating effects of losing one's affluence can be even more harmful than having the wealth itself. Can we shield ourselves? Should we just pray not to have any money? But I don't think everybody wants money. Is it is it better to be a mendicant? Turn yourself into a beggar and focus only on the higher pursuits of life? Torah says no. The mendicant order is not a Jewish idea. Plato is said to have given everything away except his cup and then he gave that away too when he saw you could lay on your belly and drink. But that's not a Jewish philosophical approach. From a Torah perspective, money like anything else is neither good nor bad. In fact, from a Torah perspective, virtually nothing in the world is good or bad intrinsically. It depends what you do with it. From a Torah perspective, intimacy is not a bad thing or a good thing. It depends. If it's experienced under the umbrella of sacred matrimony, it can be the holiest of things. And it's how we build our future. Without intimacy, there'd be no children and no tomorrow it can be the most horrific thing it can be that which fuels incest adultery literally destroys families and lives is it good is it bad it's neither it's objective it's context everything has to be experienced in the right context. Though, contextually speaking, a weapon can be an awful thing in the hands of a terrorist or a criminal, or it can be a, a very good thing in the hands of a police officer or a member of the defensive forces. Interestingly, in Israel, the army isn't called the armed forces. They're called the defense force. Despite the demonization fueled by anti-Semitism that Israel receives on a daily basis from people around the world whose armies are called armed forces, Israel's army is called Chayelet Tzva HaGana, the army of defense. (laughs) In defense of uh, the Western world, not everybody calls it a secretary of war oftentimes it's called the secretary of defense that's a good thing minister of defense those are good things it's it's good to utilize something which is as long as there's evil in the world something can go good or bad now of course when Mashiach will come the swords will be beaten into plowshares and the tanks will become tractors but that's because there'll be no evil in the world as long as there is evil Then we need to have mechanisms which can swing one way or the other. And it always depends on appropriate contextualization. I could go on. This is an obvious and easy thing to understand. Candy can be the thing that stimulates children and enables them to grow and get excited about their Yiddishkeit. And that's fine, a little bit of candy in moderation. And it can be the thing that kills a diabetic. Candy isn't good or bad. A little bit of sweets is not bad for a child. An excessive amount of anything is not good for a child. So when we talk about money, we're not speaking about the root of all evil. It could be the root of all evil. It could also be a wonderful thing. With money, one can sustain and support the needy, the poor. One can clothe the naked. One can feed the hungry. One can house institutions That teach and promulgate Torah values? And even if one wishes to be poor or mendicant on their own, why is it your spouse's fault? Why do your children have to suffer? Who says that they have to follow your attitude or approach? But then again, if you have no money, how are the children supposed to fend for themselves? The question really is this, since money is such a sharp knife, since it can slice bread so easily, but it can also end up cutting deeply into your own fingers, how can one engage with wealth, with money, and not get cut in the exchange? If money proverbially is fire, has a fiery energy attached to it how can you harness and channel it without getting burnt this my dear friends is yet another extraordinary advantage that can be yours if only you will choose to live a life of betochen of profound trust in Hashem so in summation for this little introduction Betochen is a wonderful thing. It's a mandated thing. It's, a, it's something we should all yearn for. Rabbeinu Bechayah is trying to sell us on betochen. He wants, he wants us to be prepared to make a serious investment in attaining this spiritual rung of faith. He wants us to work hard at nurturing our betochen. And the reality is that we need to be motivated. Rabbeinu Bechayah keenly understood human nature. And he knew that you and I, as human beings, would obsess over finances. He says, if you have betachen, in addition to all of the other wonderful things that come your way as a result of the betachen, you will not be harmed by the wealth or the loss of it. So with no further ado, let us begin our study as we continue to make our way through the Shara Betochen. If you're following along in the recent Kiha translation, we're now on page 27. This will be the fourth Torah benefit. Torah benefit means that which is in the arena of Avodat Hashem, of serving Hashem, living a life of, of mission, of meaning. Of purpose, of spiritual achievement and fulfillment. So we're not talking about material benefits per se, we're talking about the kind of benefits that make us feel wholesome and fulfilled. And that is to serve Hashem. Because I was created to serve my master. I and you will only succeed at life if we will do that which we were created for. You can best use a machine if you use it for what it was intended for. When you take something and put it into a foreign capacity, something that's alien to its organic structure, it will take a toll. Guess what? Despite human beings' selfish, greedy, mean and capricious nature, that's not what we were created for. We were actually created to be selfless and giving, benevolent and kind, spiritual and purposefully driven. That's why we were created. And that's exactly why we were given all those negative behavior characteristics. That's why we were created with a predisposition to greed and selfishness. It's why we were created with an organic jealousy. Because when we overcome these weaknesses, and make no mistake, they are impediments and weaknesses. The fact that you were created with it doesn't make it good. Judaism does not believe that human beings were created perfect. Human beings were created flawed and broken. We were created with many, many natural impediments. Some of us have to deal with arrogance and others with a lack of self-worth. Some of us only think about ourselves. Some of us are devoid of any kind of ambition or motivation. For some, the challenge is arrogance. For others, it's laziness, slothfulness, and lack of self-esteem. But for all of us, there is weakness. And we have to overcome those weaknesses. And by overcoming those weaknesses, we are able to demonstrate and bring forth the strength that God has potentially endowed each and every one of us with. So, Rabbeinu B'chai tells us that our predisposition to obsess over money is not a death sentence. It's not something that we have to suffer from all life long. It's something for us to overcome. And betochen is the straightforward way to do so. Imagine that. Turns out that betochen is actually the thing that can make us happy. It's actually the thing that can save us from our own darkest inclinations or desires. And amongst these benefits... Mehem is a continuation of before where Rabbeinu Bechaya was outlining Torah benefits. The person who trusts in Hashem. Having lots of money will in no way diminish your trust. Why should having lots of money diminish your trust in Hashem? because that's human nature. When a person has lots of money, they think that, I got it made. I'm good. I got no worries. I got a big bank account. If I'll need something, I have the money for it. As such, I'm calm. I'm relaxed. I'm good. I don't have to pray. I don't have to hope and worry Will God provide? Won't He provide? I'm provided for already. And the foxholes, oh, there, there are no atheists. But when you have lots of money, everything's great. Do you know that it's a mitzvah? It's a commandment in the Torah to bless Hashem after you eat? It's not a commandment in the Torah to recite a bracha, to make a blessing before you eat. It's appropriate. There's a beautiful rhyme, reason, and rationale for it. But that idea was introduced to us by the sages. The Torah says, chalta, you eat, and that's not good enough. Visavota. When you achieve satiety. that's when, V'rachtas Hashem alikecha. That's when you bless Hashem. Zoharta, And you will remember because it is He, Almighty God, who gives you the wherewithal, the ability to be able to do valor. In most other faith systems, the emphasis is on the grace before meals. We don't say grace before meals. We recite a little bracha. We recite grace after meals. Berchat Amazon is after satiation. Because out of hunger, a person yearns and hopes for God's help. And out of plenty and satiation, a person easily forgets about God. Moshe Rabbeinu himself warned us time and again in the book of Deuteronomy about the pitfalls of affluence, the dangers of wealth and plenty. Many good people have gone down the tube spiritually. Not despite, but because of the affluence they were blessed with. The Torah says you ate, you satiated, remember Hashem. Rebbeinu B'chayah says all that money you have, may you have lots of money, more than you need, more than you know what to do with. All that money you have does not have to in any way infringe on your trusting in Hashem. Why? Because the person with real betochen isn't relying on the money. You'll remember, as we've already learned in our previous episodes, Bitochen enables us to live a life of calm, A life of peace, a life of serenity and tranquility. A life of no anxiety for the future. Why? I trust in Hashem. Okay, I trust in Hashem. I also trust in my bank account. I'm also calm because I have more money than I need right now. No good. That's not called trust in Hashem. (laughs) We've talked about this many, many times. I hope you're not getting bored by me using the expression. Betochen is a sum zero business. You cannot rely on God and on friends and on others and on a bank account. That's not called betochen. God does not have partners. If you rely on Hashem, what is required is absolute reliance without leaning on anything else. That's betochen. The person who has real betochen, sure, that person's calm. That person doesn't have anxiety. But not because they have what they need, but because they rely on Hashem. So the problem with having a lot of money is that people start to feel almighty, all-powerful, omnipotent. I have money and I can do as I please. gets to your head you start to think that nothing can stand in your way and you will always be able to do what you want because you have the money but a person who has betochen he's calm he's not anxious because he trusts in Hashem and whether the money is there or the money isn't there this person puts his trust in Hashem The Gemara talks about a very great sage who would sit down at the table for mealtime and he would pray and ask Hashem to provide him with food, with sustenance for the day. And they said, Rabbi, you have a table full of food? And he said, I have nothing. It has to come from Hashem. It's here, can vaporize in a moment. Nothing can be taken for granted. Nothing can be taken on entitlement. Until I'm actually eating, Hashem can take it away. I rely on Hashem, He says. And I pray to Hashem until I'm ready to eat, and then I I eat, and I'm enjoying what Hashem gave me. This is an attitude. It's a perspective. It's not a delusion. It's the truth. Because... We all know of instances where everything was in place, and then it wasn't. Nobody knows what tomorrow brings. On the eve of the recent pandemic that so many of us are still suffering from, especially here in Canada, somebody might have had a fantastic business, a hospitality business, a travel business, amazing business, Few hours of work. Tremendous dividends. Happy people, because people like to spend when they're on vacation, when they're traveling. And overnight, overnight, it dried up. Well, that's, you know, that's luck. There's no luck, my friends. Nobody knows what tomorrow brings. Ever. We're in Hashem's hands. And therefore, we should always be certain and calm, and collected, and cool. But not because we have money, if you have it. But because the Rebbeinu Sholeilu, Almighty God, is going to be providing for you. And as such, Rebbeinu Bechaya says, he's not same chalamaman. How does he look at the money then? I mean, the reality is that it, it sounds delusional. <laughs> it sounds delusional because here's a person who has money. So who are we fooling? If I have money, I'm calm. So why are you relaxed? What should I worry about? How are you going to pay your bills? I have money. How are you going to accomplish what you want? I have money. So I'm calm? Well, you're not really calm because of the money. You're calm because you trust in Hashem. Yeah, well, uh, maybe. But not really. I mean, (laughs) we're human beings. A human being has the money. He feels good because he has the money. If he doesn't have the money, he feels uh, like he's in trouble. So the Rebbeinu B'chaya says, How does he view the money? He views the money merely as a deposit. He was instructed to use that money in a unique way. In a specific way. for specific things. And, Lezman kotsov for an allotted amount of time. It's never a given that he has the money, he'll have it forever. He doesn't know that. Nobody really ever knows that. Let's take a look at the Mepharshim and see how they understand these opening words of Rabbeinu Bechaya as he begins to chart the fourth benefit. So the Marpil and Nefesh says, he doesn't rely on the money that he has. His primary reliance is on Hashem. And I find this very interesting. As you know, I'm a believer in treating all of these texts charitably. Not only the Rebbe Nebuchadnezzar himself, but the commentaries. Very great people, inspired people. Deeply scholarly and thoughtful people. He, he added the word, the Marpa Lenefesh adds the word, Iker Betchoinei. I think that Marpal and Nefesh knows that we're, we're not dealing with the supremely righteous individuals for whom materialism means nothing. There are such people. Very few and far in between. Like, like who we fooling. If you have Betochen and you're calm because you have Betochen, doesn't that help you when you have a full bank account? Doesn't it help you when you have all the guarantees in place? You say, ah, I'm sure Hashem's going to help me. I'm really glad all those deals are signed and everything's in place. I'm really calm. I have no, I'm, I'm no anxiety because I know Hashem's going to help me. And the reality is that I got all my ducks lined up. So it's very easy to say I'm relying on Hashem. Human nature is such that I'm, I'm relying, at least maybe not... Consciously but subconsciously on the success in hand. So Mar deals Nefesh Dils, it says, Iker It's true. Of course it has influence on us. It's not possible for ordinary people not to be influenced by things like this. But that's not the focus. It's not the focus. The focus is this person reminds himself continuously. My focus is on Hashem. I trust in Hashem. Whatever there is I don't know what will be five minutes from now. I trust. I'm trusting in Hashem, and that's why I'm able to live without anxiety. So, but I have the money. True. But I see it as what we would call a deposit for which specific instructions be given. As the Barbara Nefesh goes on to say, Tzuva lehishtamesh He says, what does that mean? Like a person who was instructed. Suppose somebody was given a deposit and he was told what to do with it. The investment banker was given, was wired the money and told what to do with the money. So what does he do with it? He does what he's told to do with it. Because otherwise he's going to lose his clients. He knows his clients trust him to do as they instructed." So if I have a pekodin, if I have a, a deposit for safekeeping, or if I have a deposit with which certain things are supposed to be done, my goal is to carry out the instructions I was given. We'll soon see what the instructions are, like how this kind of plays out. I want to take a look in the commentary authored by the Pat Lechem. He says, There's an element of poetic license in the words of Rabbeinu Bakhaya here. Habiteyaqba <inaudible> Hashem, the one who trusts in Hashem, is not going to be withheld from his trust by the possession of affluence. And then he says, <inaudible> He won't be withheld from his trust because he's not relying on the money. He says the, the point here really is all of this kind of, it hinges on a common message, on a common theme. And the common theme is Hu echad the, the challenge here is maintaining equilibrium. How do I maintain the same amount of faith and trust in Hashem regardless of what's happening? How am I able to rid myself of anxiety and be certain that Hashem is the one who provides for me through thick and thin, through fortune and famine, times good and times chas v'shalom not? This really is the goal that Rabbi Bahaya has to empower you with this ability of maintaining that stamina, keeping things in balance, at all times. The hainu, that means to say, he says, matzev ha-betochen, that my betochen should be unfazed, unchanged, unmodified. So somebody who has betochen when everything is going well, but then loses their betochen when everything is not going well, never really had betachin. It's like a famous letter that I quoted, a letter from the Rebbe, I don't remember, maybe the second or third episode of this series, where the Rebbe writes to a particular individual, me'lernt, um, um, You're learning, you're learning, you're learning. Abba when you find yourself in a challenging situation, wo is the betachen? What happened to the trust? So when you're reading Shara Betochen, when you're learning the teaching of Hasidus and you feel close to Hashem, and then things all of a sudden don't look as bright. It seems that everything's going the other way. So then, you say, well, have, I'm, my, 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 I'm feeling low in my Betochen. I'm feeling weak in my Betochen. So then, did you ever have the Betochen? This should be our our stated goal, equilibrium in Betochen, continuity in Betochen, stamina in Betochen. It's not a race. It's a marathon. How do I continue to move ahead? How do I keep moving in Betochen? Paslechem illustrates it very interestingly. He says, a person has money. I don't trust, I don't rely on anybody else. I'm self-reliant. I'm taking care of this myself. I don't need anybody. Then he loses his money. I hope my friends will be there to take care of me. HaTzad HaShavet The common denominator of both approaches is a lack of trusting in Hashem. I'm not relying on God. I'm either relying on myself, I don't need anybody, or I'm relying on everybody else. I need everybody. But in both cases, in the case of have or have not, the betach and the trust isn't placed in Hashem. You need to rely on Hashem in every situation. So tzuva lehishtamash, the Paslechem says very interestingly, you vowelize this word tzuva. And incidentally, when the Hebraic edition of the Shara B'tokhin was released, if you want to call it that, it didn't have vowels. So some of the words can be read different ways, and they have different meanings. And now the many prints have vowels, but it wasn't always like that. So the Paslacham says you read it with a kubutz. Tzuva. What's tzuva? He says it's an unusual expression, but it is found in the Torah. An example is in the 36th chapter of the book of Numbers. There, the Torah narrates the conversation that ensued between the leaders of the tribe of Manasseh and Moshe Rabbeinu about the daughters of a man whose name was Tzolofchad. Tzolofchad had died in the desert, but he left no male progeny. And as such, he left no typical heir. It's a subject for another day, it has nothing to do with sexism, it has nothing to do with chauvinism, but this is the halacha, the way Torah functions. So in a case where there is no male heir, then the daughters of Tzolavchot came and say, our father's name shouldn't be forgotten. The problem, though, is that the different provinces of Israel were supposed to maintain their tribal integrity. And when a woman, a Jewish woman, marries a Jewish man, The babies are going to be Jewish by virtue of their Jewish mother, but they will have a tribal affiliation or identification by virtue of their Jewish father. So if a woman from the tribe of Menashe, for example, marries somebody from the tribe of Asher, then the woman's children are going to be Jewish Asherites, not Menashites. They'll be Jewish because their mother's Jewish, but they will not inherit their mother's tribal affiliation. And so the leaders of the tribe of manasseh were a little worried because these women are going to inherit land, but they will marry people. They were still single girls. They will marry men from other tribes and the integrity of manasseh's territory is going to be compromised. So they said to Moshe, we are doing as you commanded. You instructed us. You told us we should give this land a portionate for the daughters of Tzalachot, but how will that jibe with Territorial, territorial integrity. To which Moshe Rabbein responds that they will marry whomever they want, but from their own tribe. And there's a discussion amongst the Rishonim whether this is only applicable in the generation that entered the land of Israel or is it applicable in any situation where there wouldn't be another heir that, that's, that such a Torah law would apply. It's not relevant, actually, for the subject here. The point is, they say verily, Adoni Tzuva, You instructed. So the person should not see himself as receiving instruction, but rather he receives a peccut, he already has this money. It came along with instructions. The money comes with instructions. When a Jew has money, he has instructions that come along with it. What are the instructions? He didn't have the money before. As the money came in, instructions came along with it. (laughs) He got a wire. The wire said, $20,000 has now been deposited in your account for such and such a purpose. What's the purpose? The purpose is literally on on specific faces in specific dimensions. (laughs) What, What does that mean? So he translates that certain purposes... And certain ways, certain ways and certain purposes. Panami Uchadim says the commentary Tayvalavan is when you receive money from Hashem, you receive it with instructions. Namely, do business honestly. You got money. You're gonna invest it. Every business is a form of investment. You buy for $5 and try to sell it for $6 or $8. You turn a profit. Zavin vizavin, says the Gemara, if you buy and sell for the same exact amount of money, essentially regaining whatever you spent, Tagre Ikre, is that called business? You may as well have done nothing. You started with $100, you ended the day with $100. Now, oftentimes, unfortunately for people, their investments or business efforts do not yield dividends. And so they're happy to escape with whatever they put in. And sometimes they'll be happy to get 50 cents on the dollar because (laughs) that danger was losing everything. That's not called business, though. Businesses, commerce, is comprised of profit investment and profit you lose money to make money you spend money to gain money so people once they have a few dollars can now use those few dollars to make more money that's called business and here the test begins the Yetzirah the evil inclination is hard at work the moment money comes into your, your bank account He says, you suffered all this time. You were taken advantage of. You were swindled. Hashem has been kind to you now. Now you knock him back. The way people took advantage of you, it's just fine. In fact, that's called business. It's business. I know a fellow in my community who retired fairly early. I asked him, why did you retire for? He said, I'll tell you the truth. The business I was in didn't allow me to be honest. Because he says the customers would literally take your kishkas out, And they nickel and dime you down to the bone where end up you end up owing them money he says it wasn't business so how do we all stay in business he says extras (laughs) whatever we agreed upon we had to do and we got attacked and and beat down but he says charge in the back door he says i became observant he says i felt like i'm too old to go into a new business he said i don't know how to make an honest living i never that's not what i've been doing and he said I couldn't, in good faith, keep doing what I was doing. It's toraju. It's a Torah Jew. So he pulled out, plays the market. Baruch Hashem, he keeps body and soul together. Here's the point. You know that religious uh, person who ripped you off last week? Yeah, he's not religious. I mean, he may look religious. It's like saying, the Orthodox Jew who had a ham and cheese sandwich. Okay, so he wasn't Orthodox in the ham and cheese sandwich. That's not, really, can anybody be Orthodox? Orthodox means perfect. You can aspire to keep all of the mitzvahs. You should aspire to that. Unfortunately, sometimes we slip and trip. People who may dress a certain way or lead a particular kind of lifestyle that people call Orthodox, they still have a Yitzhahara, they still have an evil inclination. The Gemara maintains that the loftier one climbs in the rungs of spiritual achievement, the bigger Yitzhahara you have. So this person may have a much bigger challenge than somebody else. Here's a simple understanding of how a person who behaves very piously in one area of his life behaves very impiously in other areas. Every human being, by, by nature, by, organically, we need to justify our existence. There's very, very few people who will say to you, I'm a wicked, mean, selfish SOB. I care about nothing and no one. I do nobody a favor. I do no good. I'm not saying there aren't such people. I can't remember meeting one. I mean, I've met people who actually are pretty bad, but they didn't think so. And all of them came to tell me about their mitzvahs. It's the occupational hazard of the vocation I have. People were telling me about the mitzvahs they did, how they did for this one, how they did for that one, what they did. And people feel righteous, self-righteous. A person who spends or expends Time and treasure and toil in an arena of spiritual pursuit, be it Torah study or meticulous observance of Shabbat or another mitzvah, he feels justified. He feels good about himself. So when the Yetzirah comes and says, wink, wink, say this product, give that product, you know what to do. Don't all of a sudden get uh, so straight laced on me, Yetzirah says, you got kids to provide for. You're giving a lot of tzedakah. Do You know, do, do what you got to do. And the person doesn't feel evil doing this because he actually delusionally thinks that it's kind of okay. It's not, but he delusionally thinks it is. The person who isn't doing anything good or spiritual per se, says one second, like, how could I do that? Don't get me wrong. I'm not justifying the person who's observant, who's a thief. Chas v'shalom. I'm just explaining to you the human nature. The human nature is such that if a person excels in some areas of spiritual achievement, it may be harder for him to ward off his evil inclination. But my friends, Rabbeinu Bechaya comes along and says that it all boils down to trust. Because if you trust in Hashem and if you rely on Hashem, not the money, if I rely on Hashem, and I know that my financial future is going to come from Hashem, then how can I use the gift Hashem has given me in a manner that violates the explicit instructions that Hashem gives me? Hashem tells me, don't do that. If I trust in Hashem, then I have to trust that Hashem will provide for me in a manner that's commensurate with the mitzvahs, with the instructions that He gave me. So when I have trust, I become a more ethical and a more honest businessman. How could I be unethical? How could I be dishonest? How could I do business without integrity if I really have betochen, if I really trust in Hashem, if I believe that everything not only is coming from God, but I trust that Hashem will give me everything I need? So I'll be more honest. And that's what he means when he says, Panim Yuchadim says the of Halavanon. In the Tayyiv Halavanon's words, Lisa veLitin Behem To do business, commerce, the give and take of business with integrity. You know, there was a great rabbi in the previous century. His name is Abi Saul Meir of Radin. He's more popularly known by the name Chavetz Chaim. It's after a book he wrote about Lashon Hara. Chavetz Chaim was an extremely pious man. And he didn't want to benefit from his Torah knowledge, or Torah teaching. He had a, a shop, a store, what they call a dry goods store. And the Gemara says that the best way to do business is tell people exactly how much you spent and exactly how much you're making. Called doing business otherwise there's a question of taking advantage is it according to fair market value and taking advantage is not permitted by Torah and there's a limit to how much you can overcharge and if you're charging in a way which is unfair at a certain point the business is in business there's no acquisition, there's no sale Up to a sixth. You can go up to over a sixth of the market value, but not more. But the Gemara says the easiest, the best way, the way you can never go wrong is to tell somebody, this is what I spent, and this is what I want. I'm not telling you to give me what I asked for. This is what I spent. This is what I'm asking for. When you do that, there's no oinah. There's no exploiting people's naivete or using somebody else's lack of business acumen to your own advantage. (laughs) I was once with a group of uh, friends. It was a a very funny situation, but at some point, one of these, uh, I don't call him a friend, funny guy, he said, I I like your tie. I think he didn't want me to wear a tie. It was a strange situation. He says, I'm going to buy your tie. And I said, it's not for sale. I like this tie. I'm not selling it. He pulled it $50. I don't, I'm not selling it. I give it $100. I'll give it $100. I said, my wife bought this tie in Old Navy for $19.99. Why, why would you buy it for $100? He said, I don't care. I like that tie. I want it for $100. Like a brash kind of crazy guy. I said, listen, <laughs> that's a price I can't refuse. But I'm telling you right now, it's $19.99. That's what this tie cost. It was a while back. That's what this tie cost. That's what I paid for it. Canadian. As you want to give me $100 American? That's, that's your call. But remember, I didn't sell it to you. I didn't take advantage of a naivete. I highlighted the difference. That's not called in naivete. That's permissible. I still think the guy's nuts, but whatever. So the Bisol mayor, the Chafetz Chaim, he used to label all the things in his store very meticulously. He said, this cost 16 zlotys, and he charges... 18 zlotys, 20 zlotys, whatever it is, he, 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 every single thing was accounted for, he said exactly what he paid for it, he said, I paid for it, and this is the amount of time and effort I put in, and this is the money I charge, and people said, "He was a young man when this happened, people said, this is, you're not going to make it, nobody does business like that, you'd be, you'd be a laughing stock, he said, he said, that's fine, that's fine, that's fine, but this is how I'm going to do business, <laughs> what happened? from all across Raden. People only wanted to shop in that dry goods store because they knew with certainty they were never getting taken advantage of. They knew exactly what he paid. They knew what they were paying. They knew what he did business, what they call above board. Who does business like this? What happened? The other stores started going bankrupt. Nobody went to the other stores. He couldn't keep up with the volume of business to the point that the Chafetz Chaim had to close his store for two hours a day which was great for him, and he went to study Torah. And during those two hours a day, the other stores were frequented because if somebody needed something and the Chavitz Chaim's dry goods was closed, they had to go somewhere else. So if Hashem could provide for you, and you trust Hashem, why would you take advantage of people? Why would you exploit people? Torah says not to do that. Do business with integrity. This is what I paid, this is what I'm charging. When you got money from Hashem to invest, it was given to you with a special set of instructions. It doesn't matter if that's what they call business. If it's duplicitous, if it's dishonest, then it's not the way a Yid should behave. Now, the Chavetz Chaim was a, you know, a very great man, a very holy man. So, I don't think it's reasonable to think that the average person would have that kind of faith or trust in Bateachin to go and, and, and to conduct his or her business that way. Although I'm absolutely certain that if somebody would, they wouldn't lose from it. At least I'm certain if you would. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I would have that, that gumption, that, that conviction, and inner strength. But the truth is, the truth is that even if you aren't going to be the biggest tzaddik but you can't violate the halacha. You can't, you can't contravene the halacha. So it turns out, as a result of your batachen, you're a more ethical and you're a more honest person. And the people who are behaving in an unethical, and dishonest way are lacking betokhen. Is that not an extraordinary toielos? An amazing benefit of batachen? So, I don't get carried away with the money I have. I don't get full of arrogance. I don't think I'm fantastic because I have money. And I know the money comes with special instructions and it's a deposit. So that's the meaning of ponim yuchadim. Perhaps seg- specific ways. ube'inyanim yuchadim which he translates as certain purposes. What's the purpose for the money? Why, why should a yid be given money. How does he look? If he has more money than he or she needs, why were they given that money? The answer is that they got instructions. What's the very simple, says the lahal HaLuvanan. To provide a loan, a free loan for an impoverished individual in a time when he doesn't have any liquidity or the ability to provide for himself. And incidentally, giving a loan is much, much more dignity affirming than giving a handout. A handout person feels like a schlepper, a schnorrer. A loan is he's a businessman. Everybody in business takes loans. Velas is ben says Tevallavanan, to do acts of kindness, to do acts, do the right thing. Tsudokas, as we learned yesterday, is do the right thing thing, and the right thing is that if you have more than you need, and somebody has less than they need, that you should help them. It's just the right thing. It's a privilege. It's a gift. You should be grateful that you are in the position to give and not to get. The the Pas Lechem says, Binyan yuchadim." Binyan yuchadim, he says, does not always have to mean what you give others. It's a very grounded approach. He says, Why were you given this money? Well, Hashem wants me to be sustained. I don't have to live like a pauper. But what do you need? And what is unnecessary? That's the key. Use the money for the things you need. (laughs) There's <laughs> a little joke, they say. What's the difference between a rabbi and a salesperson? Said the rabbi sells you something that you need, but you don't want it. And the salesperson sells you something you want, but you really don't need. Spend the money on things you really need. Do you need that? Do you need it? Or is it just a fetish or some nourishkeit? You think it's going to bring you joy and happiness. Imagine living like that. Imagine living with purchasing the things you need and not the things you don't need. So he says, that's, that's how a yid spends his or her money. And then a yid says, what I need to do is what's right. Tzedakos. Give me Those are the things I need to do. That's why Hashem gave me the money. And you look at it, says Rabbeinu Bechayah, as lizman kotzov. You're not waiting for the shoe to drop. You're not living with anxiety. You're knowing that now Hashem has given me money. Great, I have to do what I have to do now. When I have the money, it doesn't mean to be a spendthrift. It doesn't mean to do things foolishly. It means to live in the moment. How many people are putting money away for a rainy day and they spend their whole life in the rain? Because they're putting money away for a rainy day. So when it gets really bad, then I'm going to have what I need. They're denying themselves what they need now, putting the money in the mattress for when I need it. You need it now. The Rebbeinu Shalolem gave you the privilege. You have, baruch Hashem. You have, give. Provide for others. Nemar Pile Nefesh is something a little chilling. He says, this man Because there's a wheel of fortune and it's always turning. And nobody knows what tomorrow brings. What you have is a gift. And if you won't have it, it's not because you lost it. It's because Hashem will decide at a certain point that that's not your destiny right now. You could have multiple destinies, as they say and pre Chaim, <laughs> it's an interesting thing most people heard about the idea of Gilgul and reincarnation which is not to be understood in the Zen or Eastern way chas v'shalom at all you never lived, you're never living again we are linked to other neshamas our lifetime is necessarily a continuation of other lifetimes and, and there's uh, some overlap and we can sometimes complete things that were started by others just as a husband and wife, we believe are two halves of a single soul. So it is that many souls, like uh, like dots that form a line, are able to form a continuum. But not that you lived and you can remember what you did is whatever. So at any rate, the people are familiar with Gilgal, and they assume that Gilgal or reincarnation means I have you know a, a life. To, a life ends, and then this life gets reincarnated. The the uh Chaim. Reb Vital, the foremost disciple of the Arizal, who's just today, he Yilulis today, he taught in the name of his teacher that the Arizal said they could be Gilgul Mechaim, which means certain epochs or eras in a person's life can be connected to different neshamas. A person could have multiple connections during the course of a lifetime. Imagine that. So you could have multiple Gilgulim, whatever that means. You can have a destiny, you can have a period of time in which Hashem has decreed it that affluence is going to be your challenge, your gift. That will define your life. You'll be a life doing what affluent people do. And then it could be a period of life where you're going to be doing what people who are not affluent do. And we don't necessarily or necessarily do not have the power to chart our future. That's the biggest mistake people make. They think that they can actually define the future. They can actually decide the future. It's not true. That's why they're anxious. They're worried. Maybe I'll fail at doing what I need to do to preserve my future. But betachen, betachen means I trust in Hashem. I have an opportunity now. I can provide for others now. Baruch Hashem. Thank God how lucky, how fortunate am I that I can be a benefactor, not a recipient. So it's given to me in a specific way. It's not mine to do as I please with. I can't invest it in dishonest fashion. It's given to me for specific purposes, for things that I actually need and to support others and Torah institutions. And who knows what tomorrow brings. This is where I am now. That's what I'm doing now. People think, if I don't give tzedakah, I'll put it away and then when my wheel of fortune turns, then I'm going to have it. (laughs) Really? You think that if he decides that you shouldn't have, you're going to be able to outsmart God? So what will happen? You trust in Hashem. Each day has to be lived to the best of its ability. These are, these are, the facts, the birds and the bees, this is the facts of life. It's the facts of life. I don't obsess over money. I'm talking about money. I'm talking about life. This is life. In one of the greatest saddikim of all time, the Baal Shantav, he couldn't go to sleep at night if there was money in the house. He couldn't go to sleep. Did I ever told the story? He used, to, he used to sometimes late at night look for a poor person somebody he doesn't have because money in the house disturbed him. Baal Shantav lived a life of manna. Every day you woke up in the morning, whether how the Eber still provides us? How are we going to eat today? I don't know. Let's we'll see what we can do, and the Eber still provides for us. Even the Baal would was disturbed by money. Money has a way of disturbing us, it has a way of shaking us up, it has a way of corrupting us. Unless we have Betochen. If you have Betochen, you'll be unscathed. So what happens if Hashem decides that the person should have money for an extended period of time? He has betochen. The betochen will enable him not only to know that he shouldn't get carried away when the windfall arrives, but that even if this becomes a continuous situation, that perhaps lasts a lifetime, that he doesn't allow it to corrupt him. and if it continues, good for you. he will not, so to speak, kick rebelliously as a result of it. But lemi Ha, here we come to one of the great pitfalls of charitable people. I said charitable, specifically, as I talked about in yesterday's episode. Tzedakah is not charity, because charity means I am being kind to you. You are undeserving. It's my money, but I'm being kind to you. I'm being charitable. And when people are charitable or kind, they expect others to bow down to them. And they are sometimes extremely inappropriate and demanding the loyalty and allegiance. You know, you owe me. Remember I took care of you? You remember I did this and this? It's called a mida maguna. It's a disgusting characteristic to keep reminding somebody that you did them a favor. It's, um, it's almost a personality flaw. There's a guy I know who did me a favor many years ago. Whenever he's having a, a bout of low self-esteem, he'll make sure to come and remind me, you remember I did you this in this favor? Of course. Thank you very much. Now, the truth is, I have to be grateful and thankful. Whenever you, re- you are the recipient of somebody's largest or a favor, you have to say thank you. That's, that's not a question about that. And am first talk about that. However, that doesn't mean that a person has the right to demand it of others. There's a big difference between my responsibility of saying thank you and showing appreciation, and your expectation that you have incurred immortal indebtedness because you took care of somebody—worlds of difference. bavure—it all starts first by becoming rebellious, by becoming self-reliant, absorbed with one's own success. The Marpel and Nefer says this is exactly what Moshe Rabbeinu speaks about in the famous poem, the Shira of Hazinu, where he says, Vayishman, Yeshurun. Yeshurun is a name for the Jewish people. It means, comes from the word Yoshar, upright. The Jewish people are supposed to be living upright. But Vayishman, Shuman is fat. They become corpulent, proverbially, metaphorically, euphemistically speaking and then vayivot, and then they rebelled. They kicked, and they rebelled. In other words, too much success. Too much success can oftentimes disfigure a person with prideful arrogance. It can corrupt a person in a terrible way. So if a person has lots of money for a very long time, that's who they become. They're, they're the rich person. They're the benefactor. It starts to get to them. So the Rebbeinah says, L'yivat. don't rebel. And what's the first thing he says in not rebelling? Te mi you were instructed to give to that person. Oh no, no. I, wasn't, I, I decided to give to that person. That's charity, not tzedakah. Tzedakah means, from heaven it was ordained that I should do. You saw a need and you had a correct feeling that if there's a need and you're able to provide, that you're supposed to provide. That's how a yid's supposed to look at life. If if there's somebody who needs help and I can help, then it's the right thing to do. That's the translation of the word tzedakah. Tzedakah comes from the Hebrew word right. Righteous. Do the right thing. Believe in divine providence Hashgacha pratis. If you were there and saw the need and had the ability, then you were instructed. So don't come to the person and say, remember I did a favor? Remember I took care of you when you were down in the ground? I'm just saying, just saying, just reminding you. Remember who's boss over here? You know, come kiss my ring and say thank you, uncle, because, you know, (laughs) I'm the guy who saved you. Bad news bears. If that's the way you're going, you're going to end up very corrupt as a result of your wealth. Do not start fishing for compliments. Do not come and expect to be bowed to, to be worshipped, to be feted. To be endlessly gratified. Totally inappropriate. What is the right attitude? The right attitude is you say thank you. Not to the person who took. You don't have to be a fool. You don't have to be made to, to, so to speak, turn the cheek. Give the person, provide for him, and then say, now hit me over here or show me a lack of gratitude, which oftentimes will be the case anyway. By the way, the person thanks Hashem. He doesn't ask for the thanks. Somebody asks him for a favor, he responds, and he says, "Thank you, Hashem. Thank you for the opportunity of being able to feed somebody. Thank you for the opportunity of being able to assist an able, a proper, a good organization. Thank you for enabling me." Have the privilege of being a giver, of being a benefactor, of being a source of sustenance and goodness for others. He's made the labidias baruch, Asher Samahu Sibala Taivasai who allowed him, Hashem allowed you to be his cause. He allowed you to support his cause. He allowed you to be the cause of goodness, to be the source of goodness. Menoich Khalvav says, how do you know Hashem commanded? He says, don't remind a person who you were commanded. Menoich says, yes. Hashem commanded you, Hashem commanded you to be a Baal tzedakah. Hashem instructed you to give. You see Anoni, you meet a person who's impoverished, an Evian, a person who's destitute. It's your privilege. You see, a kohen, a levy, you're supposed to give of your harvest in the land of Israel. Truma, mycer, the heave offering, the tithe. It's a privilege. Don't come back and tell the kohen, "Hey, kohen, remember? I, I took care of you. I gave it a heave offering." I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Like you know, I'm glad you're enjoying life. Just remember. Just remember who your benefactor is. Just remember. Uh, would you, twice a day kiss my ring? That's enough. No good. Bad attitude. Never mention it. You did somebody a favor, never mention it again. You fulfilled the mitzvah, the commandment of Hashem. To pat yourself on the back, to glorify yourself. That's why you did Hashem's mitzvahs. Hashem's mitzvahs are a selfish journey Of engrandizement? Seriously? Of course when I put it in these words everybody would feel foolish behaving this way but we're all guilty of this. We all make this mistake sometimes. Whether you gave somebody money whether you gave somebody time whether you gave somebody guidance or advice it's a privilege. Hashem. Never mention it. And what if they won't say thank you? So they won't say thank you. You did it for them. You did it for the Creator. You did it for the Rebbein Shalelam. You did it because that's why you had the money. That's why you were given. This is Divine Largest. You got a gift from Hashem. So you need to make sure to do the right thing and be grateful to Hashem that you can. The and L'Nefesh puts it so beautifully. He says, you were instructed to give to those in need. You have to be moideh You have to endlessly praise and thank God. Hashem made you the one who has the privilege of providing for others. The poor people needed somebody to take care of them. So Hashem said, you I have the privilege of taking care of my children. Imagine a person that you had enormous respect for. I don't know. A king, a queen, a rebbe, a prophet, a and a prophetess. Whoever it's going to be, a celebrity. And the person comes and says, "Look, I have a child with special needs. If a child is, they can't, they can't, they can't put it together. Whatever. They're just like a, their own worst enemy. My child is ill. They got." they got mixed up in drugs in their kid now they became an illness and it's just like do me a favor please I'd like you to take care if it's really a person you respect and look up to you'll be delighted you'll be so excited you'll thank God that you had that privilege that's actually what's going on those poor people they're Hashem's children Yeah, even the people who seem to be losers and inept and not capable of putting their lives together or even willing to put their lives together. Hashem's children. And for some reason, Hashem gave you the gumption and the courage and the wherewithal. Most importantly, that's only a facade, the gift of having the beneficence. Baruch Hashem, how lucky am I? What, what thanks I need to offer to the Rabbani Shalilam for it. The Marpal Nefesh says that this is the deeper meaning of what King Solomon says in the 22nd chapter of Proverbs. King Solomon says something that seems almost a bit like a riddle. He says, Al dol ki dolhu. Don't rob the poor because he's poor. Proverbs twenty two twenty two. It doesn't sound 20, 20. I mean like vision wise. What does it mean? I'll tigzo dol ki Don't steal from the poor person because he's poor. And if he's rich, I could steal from him. What does it mean? So Rashi says simply, don't take from him because you can. Because you can get away with it. Who dull? He's impoverished. The Einlikoyach. He has no no might, no ability to stand up to you. In other words, don't take advantage of him just because you can. When you go to a person who has already low self esteem, because they had to put their hand out and they had to ask, you make him jump through hoops. You make him uncomfortable and you remind him three times a day that he has to thank you, you're taking advantage of the person's low self esteem and exploiting it. It's actually a big sin. As the Marple and Nefesh puts it, Dialach Shahud Dal, isn't it bad enough that he has to be the recipient? Aren't you lucky enough that you are the usher, that you're the rich one, and he's the poor one? What would you do, my friend, if it was the other way around? How would you feel if you were on the receiving end and they were the benefactor? Would you appreciate being reminded three times a day? Would you appreciate being told, "Remember what I did for you"? Basic. It's basic. Just treat people the way you want to be treated. And why would you try to take, so to speak, what you think is yours in his hand? And indeed, the Marpal Nefesh says, this is why the Gemara Masechet Bavabasar tells us that appropriate tzedakah, appropriately given tzedakah, is very powerful. That is the one that that can save a person from all kinds of awful decrees. And what kind of tzedakah is that? The tzedakah where the person who gives and the person who receives. Neither know of it. Because it's human nature when you gave to somebody to look at them differently. And it's human nature when somebody received from you to view you differently. people feel robbed of their dignity and somehow you feel rightly empowered to take to harvest their dignity it's not good that's not the way you give tzedakah that's why people were keen righteous people pious people very keen on trying to fly beneath the radar in their charitable giving they didn't want people to know because they were trying to adhere to what we call a higher code. Incidentally, there's a famous response from the Rajba, Rabbi Ashhlom ben Avram ben Aderet, living in Seville, where he gets this question, the community needs somebody to support, and they want to publish and publicize what this individual has done. And He doesn't want it to be publicized. He says, um, I want to be a matan besaser. I want to give in a quiet way. And they wrote that if he doesn't publicize it, others won't follow or learn or be inspired by his example. And The Rashba wrote, although there is great virtue to anonymous giving, mitzvah le farsem oisei mitzvah. It is a mitzvah, a good deed, a fulfillment of Hashem's will to publicize those who do a mitzvah because they, in turn, inspire others. Not for you to get thanked. Not for you to be patted on the back not for you to be glorified but for you to have the privilege of inspiring somebody else and all of this my dear friends comes from betochen, comes from trust it is easy to sit and throw stones at those who live in opulence and wealth and perhaps slip and trip and rebel and fall down the slippery slope that affluence oftentimes affords. It's easy to criticize others. We should be taking this to heart. Every one of us, regardless of what position you're in, every one of us is a giver and a taker. Let's remember when you have the privilege to give to somebody, don't ever remind them. Don't ever harp on it. If they say thank you, that's nice. If they don't, who cares? you did the right thing because HaKadosh Baruch Hu told you to do the right thing. You had the ability because HaKadosh Baruch Hu endowed you with that wherewithal for this precise purpose. Now the Beinu B'chayi continues. So now I know how to protect myself if I have the money because I'm just a caretaker. B'tochen gives me the right perspective. I am a caretaker. I'm privileged with taking care of Hashem's wealth. What if the money gets lost? Imagine the pain. How difficult is that? So a person who trusts in Hashem doesn't consider the money to be his money to begin with. He's a caretaker. What should I worry about that for? He's not going to mourn the loss. Pas lechem says yidag yidag means to feel a sense of angst in his heart. Chimum halev the heart constricts in pain. This is the bala b'tochen not going to have pain. While Evel is an external expression of mournfulness of sadfulness. He says the person with b'tochen doesn't feel that way. He doesn't express himself the way he's afreil lechayid. He lost his money and he shows up the next day with the same smile and the same freilichite and the same joy in life and the same enthusiasm. He said, Didn't you lose all this money? He says, yeah. Hashem took it. Who made the lillikov?" He says, I'm very thankful. I'm thankful God took it for me. Thankful God took it. Yes. He took his he took his safekeeping. He took his he took his deposits for me. Why are you happy about that? Just as I thanked him when he gave it to me I thanked him for the privilege. I thank him for taking it. I didn't ask him to take it. I thank you for taking it. Yismach b'chelkoi. He'll rejoice in his portion. As we learned yesterday, the Machzavitri emphasizes the idea that Ezehu Asher HaSmech his portion, rejoice, be satisfied in your portion. The Machzavitri says, the portion that Hashem destined for you. Are you smarter than God? You know better than God what's good for you. God Almighty, God decided this is how things should be for you now. Who might I to second guess? Who might have to question? If God decided that, Baruch Hashem. Then I have the same enthusiasm in my Vedas Hashem. He doesn't seek to harm somebody else who has. Because the jealousy that burns in a person's heart who had and now has not is worse than the jealousy that exists when you didn't have. He doesn't have a sense of coveting somebody else's money. As the wise one here, referring to Proverbs thirteen twenty five, the eats satiation. What does this mean? What does it mean? It means. It means. Says Rashi, he says, I'm, I'm satisfied. I'm satisfied. Whatever I had, I'm satisfied with what I had. As the Matsudas David puts it, seva in a He's not looking for luxury, for pleasures. be. I said, what do I need? What do I need? You don't need dessert. You don't need ice cream. You don't need candy and cake. You need you need bread. You need basic vegetables, some protein. Three, really, you don't need this that junk. Have a lot of show him the wicked, he says, it's not all about what I need, it's about what I like. It's about what I enjoy. And they're and yechser, they have a hole in the stomach, so to speak. They're never happy. The Gemara says, there's always room for sweets. A person could be full, can't eat anymore, I'm stuffed. It is ice cream. Oh, for ice cream, there's room. I could always have some more. So a person who gorges himself on materialism, and on the pursuit of physical libido and pleasure, will never be satisfied. And the righteous are satisfied. Be a tzaddik. Be righteous. The mafarshim explained, the Paslechem says, This is a separate thing. Separate thing. The first thing is, Hashem had given you a deposit for safekeeping, and now He decided to take it. Okay. I thank Him for what He, for what he did. And the second thing, He says, If you have betochen, not only will you not have pain and anxiety and worry and heartache over the loss, but in fact you find joy. If I have a lot or if I have a little. I know that Hashem gives me exactly what I need and exactly what is coming to me. And therefore I'm grateful to Hashem that He gave me what I need. And I know that He's going to give me what I need in every situation. Because a person who is not satisfied, as we learned in so detailed a manner yesterday, a person who lives with a lack of satisfaction and he's never satisfied, he always wants what somebody else has. And the grass is always greener on the other side, even if it isn't greener, he thinks it's greener, and he covets it, and he lusts it, and he's jealous. Velachini says, Miskanabem. He's jealous of other people. And that leads you into a terrible moral decay where a person is sameach behezekam He rejoices in somebody else's misfortune. There's a word in English for this. It comes from German. It's called Schadenfreude. Freud, Freud in German is happiness. Schaden is harm. The joy of harm. Nobody is happy when they're harmed. But when you see your enemy suffering, you say, ah, ha, that feels so good. Schadenfreude. It's a terrible thing. To rejoice in somebody else's misfortune? It's bad enough if you don't feel bad. But this kind of spiritual disfigurement comes when we don't have betochen. Think about this, my friends. Betachen is so wholesome. Betochen makes you into such a mensch. It gives you the ability to handle wealth without losing yourself. It gives you the ability to rebound even when you have terrible financial setbacks. And as we learned in the outset, Betochen provides us with the setting in which we can always find the same equilibrium. We can always be in a state of trust that Hashem is providing for us regardless of whether or not there is a financial cushion to proverbially fall back on or not Hashem is providing for me so tell me I'm all about money all I talk about is money all the B'nai focuses on his money exactly the opposite the B'nai is telling you how to live a life which is not all about money. Not because you're going to be a tzaddik and because these things are not going to mean anything to you and I have, I'll be a mendicant. No, 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 no. I live a normal life. I'm going to try to provide and have the things that I need and live like a mensch. That everyone's ever once told somebody he didn't want shluchim to be impoverished? He listed a, a new pair of shoes. He says what twice a year. He said a new kapata once a year. Did everybody listen to live a normal life. I didn't want those who are working for Yiddishkeit to live like paupers, like beggars. But also not, you don't need luxury. Nobody needs fancy vacations. We lived for millennia without fancy vacations. You don't need it. There's so many things we don't need. I must have it. I need this. If there's anything the pandemic has taught us, it's that a lot of the things we thought we need, we don't need. You're stressed out, learn Shara Feeling overwhelmed, immerse yourself in these holy words. As he brings down in the t- translation on if he loses his money, So in the commentary that um, they put together here, it says God tests a person in two ways. There's a test of poverty and there's a test of wealth. Shlomo HaMelech wisely asked of Hashem to be tested with neither. Shlomo HaMelech says in the 30th chapter of Proverbs, in the 8th and the 9th verse, Shlomo HaMelech says to the Rebbeinu Shlomo, he says, Almighty God, Please, don't test me either way. I'm not looking for the pitfalls of wealth or for the terrible, catastrophic realities of poverty. I'm not looking for either way. Don't give me wealth. He says, just give me what I need, my daily bread. Yeah, that comes from Torah, by the way. (laughs) <laughs> she says Or well, lest I become impoverished so he says don't give me poverty no riches just give me my daily bread Shalom HaMelech is concerned if he becomes overly satiated that he might deny Hashem he says pen esba lest I become filled, sated, and say, "Who's God?" <laughs> I, the Almighty rich man, can do as I please. Or a person can become poor, become desperate. They go navdi. so I can become poor and steal and swear in the name of God inappropriately, because I need the money. So the Rebbe, when he talked about this, he said that nevertheless, if we are to be tested, the test of wealth is better than the test of poverty. And therefore, the Rebbe maintained that actually people have to ask for the test of wealth and pray that they'll have the moral compass and the inner fortitude and conviction to do the right thing. He says that's why Shlomo HaMelech first asks not to be tested with poverty. Because if a person needs to be tested, it's better not to be tested with poverty, which causes tremendous pain and stress. The Gemara says that people literally lose their minds over poverty. It makes them rebel against Hashem. It was a Hasidic Rebbe, in the post-war years in New York, his name was the kapitchin Rebbe, the Rabbi. and he believed that Jewish people should best be poor. He was afraid that wealth would cause them to assimilate, to rebel, and he has all kinds of verses backing up his attitude. And the Rebbe, the Rebbe felt otherwise. The Rebbe felt that now we come to a time where Yidden should be wealthy and have affluence, and nobody should lack anything. And we should overcome this test. The Rebbe said, we have, we've already suffered the test of poverty for millennia. It's time for Am Yisrael to be tested with affluence. And the Rebbe once said to him, that this man had a son-in-law who was a chassid, who was extremely wealthy. The Rebbe said with a smile, he said, your kapedah shouldn't hurt your family. <laughs> your, your desire to see poverty that would bleed into piety should not hurt your own family. So, if we're to be tested, please God, we say test us with affluence and wealth. But make no mistake, my friends, it is a test. It is a test. And it's something that Bitochen can help us deal with appropriately. I want to finish by sharing a teaching, a parallel teaching of the Khatam Sofer and of uh, our Rebbe based on the teaching of his father's on a Zoharic approach which kind of encapsulates the two sides of what we talked about in today's class the test of wealth and the test of poverty so King David says in the 146th Psalm in the third verse he says Ashrei fortunate Shekel Yaakov but the one who's the God of Jacob is to, comes to his aid. Sivri, his hope, Al Hashem Malikov. He places in the hands of the Lord his God. So the Khatam Sofer explained it this way. He says, the person who has betokhen, even if he has great affluence and wealth, he doesn't place his reliance on the money, but rather in Hashem. And that's how he should interpret this verse. Ashrei Shekel Yankiv Fortunate is the one who God has blessed with unbelievable success. And nonetheless, Sivrei, his hope for the future, Al Hashem That's not where his betachan is. He hopes for the future, not because he has money, but he places his trust in Hashem. That's how the Khatam Sofer interpreted this, and that verse then would essentially affirm the message that Rabbeinu B'chayi brings us. The Rebbe points out, conversely, that the Zohar says that the word Sivro is used. It doesn't say Tikvato, which is the traditional word in Hebrew for hope. It doesn't say Bitchono, security, Surety or trust. These are expressions of hope and trust in Hashem. It says, Sivro. So the Zohar says, Al tikri Sivro. Do not read it as a S. With a dot on the left side of the shin. Making it a sin. But rather with a dot on the right side. Namely, Shivro. Shivro? Shivro means being broken. And he says, Ashle the Shivroi, any kind of suffering of, so to speak, breakage he experiences. Al Hashem he all everything is so to speak suffered or experienced for a higher purpose or the purpose of Hashem. In which case, actually this verse through the harak lenses, would not speak about the test of affluence, but it would actually speak about the test of poverty or suffering. And it's interesting that we have the same verse in Tehillim in two very different ways of understanding it. And the Rebbe said that the deeper message for us is that when we're living in a time in which we see a rise of anti-Semitism, a time in which we see greater dangers that face us as a nation that we see ideas and ideals that we believe in the Torah's ideals and ideals threatened and the suffering of the gullus of the displacement that we suffer from that we're dealing with so he says on this the sages told us that Yaakov's children were not broken by it Hashem is at our side. Have betochen, Shivroi, even when things seem broken, know that this is all, so to speak, for whatever higher purpose Hashem asks of us, and we shouldn't be demoralized by it. In either way, betochen is the thing that can carry us through thick and through thin. Having bitochen in Hashem will make us into a mensch. Give us a sense of respect for others, enable us to preserve the dignity of others, prevent us from becoming corrupt and arrogant and full of oneself, and most importantly, gives us equilibrium for life. Trust in Hashem, for it will truly deliver us. My friends, I hope you were inspired by the incredible teachings of Rabbeinu Nachman and the many commentaries. If you were, please take the time to share this with somebody else. For whatever we have, we have to share with others. I'd appreciate it if you can hit like. And if you aren't yet subscribed or know somebody who could benefit from these classes and isn't subscribed yet, please do so or get them to subscribe and enable notifications. I look forward to continuing to share inspirational words of Torah together, as we continue together to hope and to pray that the Gaulah Mitas Vashlema, that the redemption through Mashiach will be very soon in coming, the will be Amenu Amen. Thank you for joining today.